Freedom is absolutely not free. I want to encourage you, if you have not already done so, to go out to the Matthews Field to see the Vietnam Memorial Wall. Also, on the 18th, there's going to be a big celebration here in town as we welcome home, much, much overdue welcome home for those that, men and women that came home from Vietnam. And I uh, can't say enough about that. If you have a copy of God's Word today, I want you to turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. And we're going to go through... A couple of verses, seven verses, and and then we're going to kind of open this thing up today. We've been talking about extraordinary. I've said earlier on in this context of this sermon series that extraordinary uh, only comes when ordinary man meets a supernatural God. There's nothing in and of us that we can offer to God that makes him any better than himself. He's already fully sovereign. He's in full control. There's nothing that we can bring to the table that's going to make God more godly or better. It's the fact that when we, as David said a moment ago, broken, common, undone people, when we have an encounter with Jesus Christ, I want you to know today that that becomes an extraordinary uh, platform for something great to be accomplished in Christ. In fact, let's look through the scriptures today. It says now in verse 1, Luke 24, Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and a certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. And as it happened, as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shiny garments. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? Verse 5 is where we're going to part today. Let me read that again. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? Verse 6, he is not here. <laughs> he is not here. He is risen. Remember how he spoke to you. Listen, this is key. When he was still in Galilee saying, the son of man must, underscore that in your Bible today, be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day raise again. Everybody said amen. Let's pray today. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that you would help us to rightly divide your word today, that you would make us to apply it in our life, that we would be completely forever changed because of the death, burial, and most importantly, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And all said amen. You know, I think as we look in this storyline, we, we almost seem like here that there's a bizarre kind of total disrespectful question because customarily and even according to Levitical law, sacrificial law and all the laws that people live, there were some 613 of those laws that dictated what they did and did not do. In accordance with the law, the women did exactly what they should have done. Remember, this happened at the height of Passover. They had to take Jesus off the cross early because they didn't want him to be left on the cross during Passover. Three days, of course, early in that morning, the third day, the beginning of the third day, uh, they actually went to the tomb to take the spices to anoint his body, to, if you will, to preserve his body, to give it a, an aroma that was sweet unto God. That was the custom by the law. But as they went there looking for a dead man, the, the, the Bible says that these angels, as it were, were standing there and said, why do you come seeking the living among the dead? In fact, if we look a little closer to this, we realize that that's exactly what we would do if we go to a cemetery or to a grave, and in this case, a sepulcher. We would have been looking for dead among the dead. That's what we do when we go to a graveyard. But something was completely different about this occurrence. And they go on to say, don't you remember that he told you that he must be killed? He would be 
buried, and he would get up again. Jesus even declared that among his own disciples. He said, I will tear down this temple, and I will raise it up again in three days. They thought he was completely crazy, a fanatic. Many called him a blasphemer. Others thought he was some prophet. But see, the reality, guys, is this is the very thing that causes us a point of reckoning. We have to look at this and understand, what do I do with this part of resurrection? Because it's not just that he died on the cross, as I shared this morning. Many died on the cross. In fact, there were two others that same day that died on the cross. It was what happened after that. It was what happened among those three days. It was what happened after that, some 50 days after, as he walked on the earth. Not one, not two, not even just the 12, but 500 people, eyewitnesses, some in the belief system, some not in the belief system. This this resurrection caused these people to redirect and to reorient everything that they did. It changed paradigms. It shifted belief systems. It put an end, if you will, to the law. Not because he came to abolish it, but because he came to fulfill it. He brought us into, in this resurrection moment, a dispensation of grace. Everything that man could not do in the law was fulfilled in this one moment in time, pivotal moment in time, so much so that even our calendars are dictated by Jesus' life here on earth. And as you read in the books today, they're trying to change that to B.C. Now they call it B.C.E., which means before common era. I don't really care what they call it. It's still determined by this man, Jesus, who stepped out of the portals of glory into humanity, taking on the fullness of man, yet he was still fully God, laying aside his, the use of his godly attributes. This is important. So that he could suffer, so he could die, so he could be tempted. Why? Because my God understands what I'm going through. He understands when I'm weeping. He understands when I'm nervous. He understands when I'm fearful. And he understands more than you and I can ever fathom what it means to be persecuted. But he got up. And by getting up, he put everything that was holding mankind, death, hell, and the grave, he put it to bed. The sting of the grave was gone forever. There was no victory in the grave. For you and I who are born-again believers, you know, I look at my dad and I think about his death. The, the, the death of my father wasn't cancer's win. It was glory's gain because the moment that he closed his eyes and breathed his last, he literally was face-to-face with Jesus. You see, that's what the resurrection does. In fact, I would be so bold this morning to say that there are a minimum of six areas in our life that you and I have to reckon with, redirections, reorientations of our life, if you will, because of the resurrection of Jesus. Number one, if you're taking notes, it redirects us from death to life. The Bible says that a man that's born of woman, his days are few and, is, and are full of trouble. Paul wrote in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 59, he said that if we have only hope in this world, we are among men most miserable. You see, the fact that it's not that he died, it's that he got up. See, and when we look at this, we realize that each of us, each of us has an appointment with death. That may seem like a morbid thought to you. You know, how many of you are late everywhere you go? Be honest. All right, how many of you are like early everywhere you go? How many of you are OCD about being early? I get you. I feel you. But check this out. Can I tell you something? It doesn't matter if you're timely. It doesn't matter if you're late. I've heard people say, you would be late to your own funeral. Can I tell you something? No, you won't. 
Matter of fact, you're going to get there before anybody else does. Say, so why do you say that? Because, see, the Bible said it's appointed unto man wants to die and after this is a judgment. You see, God knows when you're going to breathe your last. You don't. Why, church, do we just live life so vicariously, so cavalier about things uh, that, that are right now without making any preparations for the future and all of eternity? Billy Graham said it best. He said, a man can't truly live until he's made preparations to die. But if that's all we have is looking to death as the finality, as the end of all ends, we're among men most miserable. You see, but there's something cool about this bringing from us, redirecting us from death to life, and it's this, is that when we die, it's not the end, but in fact the beginning. If we look at our life in the context of all eternity, we realize that life truly starts at our death, that we're going to spend eternity somewhere. Does it preach well? But there's a hell. There is a true physical place of torment and separation from God. Maybe, maybe, maybe you, you need to hear that today and say, you know, just need to, to scare you to a point out of hell. Hey, you know what? I have no problem with that. The Bible says that pulling some of them out of hell with fear. The Bible says that. If that was your only point of reckoning because it was mine in 1992, I reckoned at a point in time with my life, I wasn't planning on coming to Christ. I, in fact, I had been drinking the day that I got saved. I wasn't looking for him, but you know what? He was pursuing me. And on that moment, on October 29th, as, as I'm holding my wife's hand, I became fearful of my own life. You know why? Because I became afraid that if I died, that moment I was going to bust hell wide open. Not because I wasn't a good guy, not because I wasn't a good dad. All those things have been you know, taken care of. It was because I didn't know Jesus as my Lord and my personal Savior. I had not redirected myself from death to life because of the resurrection of Jesus. What about you today? What about you? Where do you stand in all of eternity? It redirects us from death to life. Secondly, it redirects us from the cross to the resurrection. I said that this morning, and I got a couple of looks. I noticed that. So if it was one of y'all, I mean, I, I saw you looking at me funny. The cross is where Jesus said it is finished. In fact, he says seven things. One of which was, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He told John, behold your mother. He said to the mother, behold your son. It was an exchange. It was a handing off, if you will. He said these things to fulfill the scriptures. But hear me loud and clear, church. It was not merely the cross that set us free. You see, that's where the sin of the world was put upon man. Remember what he said? My God, my God, why has that forsaken me? For years, church theologians have questioned, why did God turn his back on his son? If he was fully God, why did he turn his back on him? Guys, he didn't. He turned his back on the sin that his son became. Because a holy God cannot look upon sinful man. And see, the Bible says that Jesus, who knew no sin, became my sin, that you and I may be made the righteousness of God in him. Mark, why did he weep in the Garden of Gethsemane when he left the upper room and he went to a place and he told the disciples, watch him pray. And he took Peter, James, and John. He said, sit here and pray. And he said, but I got to go further because there was no one in the world that could have went as far as he had to go to the point of the cross. And as, he, and as he belabored over that, and as he, as he wailed and he cried out in his humanity, he said, God, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But if not, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. What was in that cup that day? It was the sin of mankind and the wrath of God poured upon it to an unholy people. And that's why mine and your sin is no longer in the way of us getting to God. 
A lot of us mistake that. That's why I think it's difficult sometimes for us to live a, a life of righteousness because we think we've got to live a perfect life. In fact, I may say this, that, that, and I've heard pastors say this before, and I tend to agree. I think that's the reason a lot of people won't come to church because we feel like in the church we made all these stinking rules and regulations. Let me tell you something. It's not my job to set rules and regulations over your life. In fact, if I read the scriptures right, I am merely to be called a fisher of men. I've never been called to clean up fish. I am not the faith police, nor are you. It's not our job to, to, to make certain that people walk a certain way. You know what our job is? It's to pick people up when they fall, to love people that are unlovable, to when they do break down and they do fall, and they will, and so will you. It's to come alongside of them and say, hey, you don't have to go through this alone. Why? Because the cross is the finality of, of sin. But the resurrection is the birthing of life. See, it redirects the way that we look at things. It forces me to reckon with this issue. Why do you look for the living among the dead? It exposes something that's true for all of us. Sometimes we forget this. That if I've asked Jesus Christ into my heart, how many of you are saved this morning? Wave your hand at me. You're going to live forever. And there's nothing the world can do to take that away from you. I heard Johnny Hunt, pastor of uh, Woodstock Church in, in, uh, in Woodstock, which, First Baptist Woodstock. That's why it's called Woodstock Church. It's in Woodstock. And he said this. He said, if you wanted to get out of God's hand, you couldn't do it. It's pretty bold. But see, the Bible says, what shall separate me from the love of Christ? And it goes on to list all of these things, life, death, principality, powers, things present, the things to come. Nothing can separate me from the love of Christ. And if there's any debating on that, Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created, whether in heaven and earth, whether thrones, dominions, principalities and power, visible and invisible, all things were created by him and for him. And then verse 17, And by him all things are held together or consist. That's pretty formidable as we get to a place where we think that God cannot forgive us or God can't heal us. Let me tell you something. Luke 15 speaks of the prodigal son, the lost son. And he went back and he went into the world when he came into himself and he went back to the Father. I'm not worthy to be your son. Just put me in your house and let me be one of your low servants. He didn't even acknowledge that he said anything. Why? Because he wasn't a son because he was worthy. He was a son by birth. And you are a child of the Most High God today, not because you're great, not because you're worthy, but because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You see, we have to move from the cross to the resurrection. If we get stuck on the cross without going to the resurrection, then our faith feels like death rather than life. Because on the day of the cross, the world won, so they thought. The day of the cross, the one commanding soldier saw something that he had not seen, but it didn't set him free. You see, Pilate washed his hands that day prior to the cross. The children of Israel said, let his blood be upon us and upon our children. Boy, they spoke that one well, didn't they? But on the resurrection, the Bible brings us from condemnation to hope found in life through Jesus, through the resurrection. So it redirects us from the cross to the resurrection. Thirdly, it redirects us from feeling to Scripture. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Consider their feelings for just a moment. They were broken. The man that they had followed. Maybe they believed. Maybe they, maybe they tried to put their head around what he was talking about. 
In fact, if you get to the point of, of the crucifixion night, where was his disciples? They were all running for their life. Peter, for goodness sakes, the, the head guy, if you will, the, the, the small pebble, the stone uh, that, that Christ said, upon this rock I'll build my church, when he told him, there are the Christ, the son of the living God. That Peter who denied him three times cursing him, where was he at? He was running because they really didn't believe that he was getting up. See, they were feeling some things. In fact, they just should have held on to Scripture, the truth that he had spoken when he told them the Son of Man must be betrayed. The Son of Man must be killed. But on the third day, he's getting up. See, when we move from feeling to Scripture, we realize that there's a word there that we need to hold on to, remember. He says, remember how he told you, the angel said, while he was yet with you in Galilee. Son of man must be delivered into the hands of a sinful man and be crucified on the third day, raised again. Notice that word, remember. Never underestimate how remembering God's word can change your life. There's times in our life that we feel like we can't go on. There's times in our life where we feel like that the world is against us. Remember the scripture where he says, if you love me, you will be persecuted for my namesake. Remember that. When you feel like you've fallen away and there's no way for you to come back, remember the scripture in 1 John 1, 9. It says, if you confess your sin, he's faithful and he's just to forgive your sins and to cleanse you of all your unrighteousness. Go from feeling to scripture and it changes everything. Husbands. When you don't like your wife a whole lot, remember the scripture in Ephesians 5, 22. I know some of y'all look at me like, go on, brother, preach it. Remember Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That means you love her when she's unlovable. You love her when she's cursing you. You love her when she's slapping your face. You love her when she's crucifying you, if you will. That's how we're to love our wives. And all the women said, Amen. Glad you like that verse. Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. When you don't feel like honoring him, submit to him in the same manner in which you submit to the Lord. Why? Because that is what honors God. And that's what's going to make you the Proverbs 31 wife that will bring blessing and honor to your children and ultimately to your husband. And God will honor you for it. You see, guys, we've got to get away from this feeling. I don't really, I don't really feel like this today I don't feel like sharing my faith today God help us when we get to a point when we're too stinking tired to share faith in Christ Jesus and the power of the resurrection with some lost soul because what if what if you're the one church what if you're the one Mark do you really think that maybe there's only one Ezekiel seemed to think just that that if we don't sound the trumpet as the watchman, if we don't sound the trumpet to say Jesus is coming back, be ready that there is a, there's a part of that we have to own. There's blood on our hands. I shared the story with you guys, maybe not in this group, of several years ago when I was in a, in a hospital. And I didn't feel like going to the hospital to visit a lady. I was a youth pastor and had a busy day. And I, I remember getting on, on the, um, at the West Door or whatever, the medical center over there, in uh, LaGrange and I went to get on the the uh, elevator and there was this girl in there tattooed up had some pretty you know scantily clad dress if you will and and she she smelt and and you could tell she'd just been in the world been in the picture of the world if you will and 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 I got in I'm thinking oh god I don't want I don't want to really deal with this right now God's saying witness to her I'm thinking not gonna happen I don't want to do it today he said witness to her 
tell her about me. Just kind of my conversation with the Lord. I said, I don't want to do it today. Elevator opened up on the second floor, which was ICU, and she got off, and I'm heading up to the third or fourth floor, and I go up, and I come under such conviction. God said, you're a preacher, and I told you to tell her about me. I died for her, Mark. I got off of the elevator on the fourth floor, turned around and got back on. By this point, I'm weeping, and I, I'm just hitting the buttons, and it goes up another floor, and I'm thinking, oh, Lord, God, please let me find her. I go down the second floor. I get off, and I know several of the nurses, and then I went in there. I look for this girl. She's nowhere to be found. I'm thinking, I have missed my opportunity. By now, I'm like, I'm not even going upstairs to see this person. And so I get on the elevator, and, man, I'm just weeping, and people are getting on and getting off. They're like, what, what's wrong with this guy? And I'm thinking, I, I should tell you, I'm a preacher. I just failed. Do you know Jesus? I mean, I want to do anything I could. And I get down to the bottom, and it comes to the bottom floor, and it opens up, and there she sits right there on this bench outside on the first floor. She was weeping, and she looked at me. She said, I knew you would come back. And I went and I embraced her and I shared Jesus with her. And right there, she fell on her face and she asked Jesus Christ into her heart. We went upstairs. Her mama was on the ICU floor. We led her mama to the Lord. The next day, her mama died. And I talked to that girl several years after. She stayed in church and life changed. You know why? Because I went from feeling to a point of the scripture. We've got to redirect our attention. I used to hear preachers say this a lot. I didn't really like it, so I'll go ahead and admit that and kind of give you a little disclaimer. It ain't about you. It ain't about how you feel. It ain't about what color the carpet is or what the air conditioner is set on or what it's not set on. No, 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 no. This is a hospital for the hurting. Oh, Mark, this is a fine arts building. No, 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 no. Right now, this is church. We're the church we got to get this mindset over with redirect our attention get away from feeling come to a place of scripture fourthly redirect us from current events to God's providence all too often we're living in the effects of the events of right now when we should be looking to the provision of God provision simply implies this that God has taken forethought you heard Keith say a moment ago and this, this just blows my mind when I think of this that when God took, if you will, if you look at this kind of personification of, of creation event, that when he spoke all of these things into existence, let there be light and there was light. Let there be a separation from the earth and the firmament. Let there be uh, creeping things and flying things. Let there be swimming things. All these things that he said. But then he stopped and he did something profoundly, uniquely different in the context of creation of man. As if he knelt down on the dust of the earth that, by the way, he created. And he looks and he begins to fashion. Psalm 139 says that we're fearfully and we're wonderfully made. Intimately, we're put together in the image and the likeness of God. That there was something different about you and I. That God took the time, the care. Don't know how long it took. And he's fashioning. He didn't speak you. He fashioned you. He put his hands upon the dirt. When he had it just perfect, fearfully and wonderfully made, he puts his mouth to the nostrils of man and breathes in man, and he becomes a living soul. And as we look at that story and we fast forward, there comes a point in time where we, 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 we look at the failures of man. 
We look at the, the fall in the garden, the curse before the garden account. You could pick a rose and there were, there were no thorns because it wasn't a remembrance of something beautiful. You could walk and you could caress a lion's mane. You could eat all of the stuff in the garden and, and, and just you could work, guys, and you wouldn't sweat. All of that was exactly the way God intended it. But at the fall, we see man forever separated from God. And I've heard people say this erroneously. They say, we foiled God's plan. Can I tell you something? God is never, ever, ever, from everlasting past to everlasting future, will he ever say, "Uh uh-oh, what will I do now? Do you know why? Because the Bible says that Jesus Christ was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. Before he made you, he had a plan of redemption. That's called provision. Probably one of the greatest stories of provision is that of Joseph, one of 12 brothers, had a favor of the father. As the band gets ready to come back up, as the favor of the father in the form of a coat of many colors. You know the story. He went out to check on his brothers and they were going to kill him. They threw him in a pit. Not just any pit, but a certain pit, which in fact, by provision, used to be a well that his great-great-grandfather would have dug in that same region. God had taken forethought, it says, because there was no water in it. Had there been water in it, he would have drowned. It was a pit because someone had taken the time to dig it. God was taking forethought. And they're debating on how they're going to kill him and what they're going to do. We're going to kill him now. We're going to just leave him here and let him starve. But God had taken forethought. There were some Midianites who walked along the way going into Egypt. And he said, we could just sell him into slavery. Where did the Midianites come from? They came from Ishmael, the illegitimate son of Abraham, a son that should have never happened. In fact, a son that has created the turmoil in the world today with Palestine and everything that's anti-Israel, that's where it came from. Man trying to help God be God. However, comma, here's the beauty of that, that God took provision, and that provision is what saved Joseph's life. He took him to the palace. He went from the prison, he went to the palace, and he became the second in command of all people under only Pharaoh and made provision for the people. So all the people, including God's chosen people of where Jesus would come through the line, would actually live that's provision we got to quit looking at the right now events of our life and think that we have completely missed it I want to say this loud and clear to you there are no do-overs no second and third chances to get it right but there is God's provision you see, when I'm walking down the road and I'm in life and I, and I get right here and I realize, whoa, 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 I should have turned over here, man. I should have been way back over here. The moment that I come to myself and I turn, it's repentance to turn back. It's a 180-degree turn to turn away from the world, to turn away from my view and turn back to God. At that moment, I don't have to go back over there where I got off because the moment I turn around, Jesus is right there. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. He is the friend that's sticking closer than a brother. I don't have to go back there where I messed up the moment I turn around he's there that's provision providence teaches us that history is not blind it's not aimless march into nothingness and meaningless but rather the orchestration of God's handiwork redeeming and forgiving man through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus real quick redirects us from the law to the gospel 
We can't keep the law. Mark, why did God go through all of the law system? All those years of innocent animals, the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, the seven furnishings, to simply prove that man needed a Savior. You see, the law condemns, but the gospel sets free. Galatians 5 and 1 says, to stand fast. To stand fast, church, in the freedom wherewith Christ has set you free. I'll let that marinate for just a moment in your heart. Just do me a favor. Don't worry about time for just a moment. And just think on that thing for a moment and just realize that you're free. You live in the greatest nation on planet Earth, despite everything going around. I still believe that. Stand fast in the freedom wherewith Christ has set you free and don't be entangled again in the yoke of bondage. The resurrection turns us from law-keeping to gospel-believing. And then finally, when I face the resurrection, when I face Jesus conquering death, hell, and the grave, it redirects me from a place of grief to a place of joy. Nehemiah said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Not food, not wealth, not hope, not wife or husband or even children. Those things can add to our life. But let me say this to you. Happenings determine happiness. Joy comes only from the Lord. When the disciples were beaten and flogged and and set free in Acts, the early church, and they said, go and don't preach this Jesus anymore. The Bible says that they walked away with joy unspeakable, having considered it an honor to be flogged, to be beaten for his sake. A mother that loses a child. A friend of mine named Elisa, who lost her two-year-old boy to a drowning accident had the privilege of interviewing her a few years ago. And she said, I praise God today that Caden lived and that Caden died and his life and his death mattered. So much so that she got to share her story with a Muslim lady who came to faith in Christ Jesus, turned around and is forever going to change a generation. Thank you, Lord, for taking my son. How does that happen? Oh, it's not in you. It's not in me. It's not in her. It's in a joy that comes through something much bigger than what this life has to offer me. Can I tell you something, guys? You're not taking this with you. Some of you guys, some of us, we work from pillar to post, from sunup to sundown. We have no joy. We may have stuff, but you have no joy. The only joy that you and I can have is 1 Peter 1, 3, and 4. Praise be to God, our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, that in His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a lively hope through the resurrection of Jesus through the dead. 
And perhaps the most telling, 1 Corinthians 15, 40, 54 and following. So now that this corruptible or this flesh shall put on incorruption and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then and only then shall be brought to pass the saying which is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God which giveth us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, because of that, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain for the Lord Jesus Christ. That is our hope. Easter is about hope. It's about life. I'm asking you to bow your heads with me all over the room. Don't know what you brought into this place today. Don't know what preconceived notions about the church or about the gospel or the cross or the resurrection you bring into to the house today. But here's one thing I want you to do. I want you to redirect your heart and your mind and your passions to the affections of Jesus Christ who pursued you, who died for you. Daddies, it's time to stand up and take your rightful place as daddies and lead your family. Love your wife as Christ loved the church. Raise up your children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Mamas, it's time for you to live that virtuous Proverbs 31 existence, not doing a bunch of stuff, but being honorable to love the Lord with your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Young person, it's time to quit saying, I want to be popular. I want this or I want that. I just want God and I want Jesus in my life and I want to live a pure life and I want to be a virgin when I'm married and I want to not do the things the world says I can do. I want to be separate. I want to be different. I want to be peculiar for the honor and for the glory of the Lord. Grandmama, granddaddy, husband, wife, boy or girl, everyone on the sound of my voice, do you know Jesus today and the power of the resurrection? It's foolishness to those who don't believe, but to me and you, it's the power of the salvation. If you don't know him today, would you pray with me right now from your heart to God? Father in heaven, I believe in Jesus and I want to ask Jesus to come into my heart to forgive all of my sin. Jesus, save me. Save me. Help me to live for you. Be the Lord of my life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you pray that prayer today and you ask Jesus into your heart right here, right now, no debate, nothing holding back, lift your hand right now. Say, I prayed and asked Jesus Christ into my heart. God bless you. Looking around. God bless you. Anybody else? Hold it up high. Hold it up high. How many of you today would be honest? Heads bowed and eyes closed. Just say, Mark. I want God to reconnect me, redirect me, reorient my life to live under the power of the resurrection, not under the frustrations of this world. I want that today. I want that joy unspeakable. Pray for me, Mark. That's what I want for my family, for my home. That's what I want for my life. Lift your hand up at that shoe. Hold it up if you're not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the power unto salvation that lives in you. Hold it up high. Hold it up. The doors of our church stand open today. God is calling you to be a part of Northridge Church, not just to have your name on the roll, but to be a part of the work, to be a part of the fellowship, to be a part of the body here at Northridge as we move forward to tell some 24,000 people in our community and surrounding communities about the power of the resurrection of Jesus. When I ask you to stand, 
In just a moment, I'm going to ask those who ask Jesus into the heart to come down. There's some prayer warriors down here that will pray with them. If God's calling you to be a part of our fellowship, I'm going to stand right here. Or if just maybe, maybe you're not called to do anything new today, but you just want to say, God, I heard from you today. Redirect my focus and my attention to live for you. I'm going to stand right down here in the front. All I'm asking you to do, this is all I'm asking, is for you to come, shake my hand, and turn around and walk away. All you're acknowledging is that God is God of your life, and today something new happened. Something fresh has come into your life. While they sing, you guys stand to your feet and do what God has called you to do. Oh.